we heard our brother direct us in worship and adoration of our Lord and God. And uh, a few of you weren't here earlier, but we sang uh, number 13 in the Black Chorus. And uh, the last stanza says there, there's something about that name. <laughs> now, some of you might not know what that's referring to. And before we resume our study in the book of Matthew, I'd like to show you what that's speaking to. In uh, Philippians, our Lord said, The Father seeketh such to worship him in truth, in spirit and in truth. I thought it would be helpful for us to, to understand. And I, I'm just sharing a little part about this name. <laughs> There's something about that name. Remember what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph? It brought that message from the very throne of God. And he told Joseph to call that, that baby, that, that little boy who was born king, call his name Jesus. For How come? Call, call his name Joshua. Call his name Savior. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse... Nine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. There's something about that name. You want to know something about that name? It says here, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And uh, that knee is going to bow either in mercy and grace. In this time state, Today is the day of salvation. Or that knee will bow in judgment and wrath. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and the things and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is something about that name, is there not? <laughs> That's the only man that it can be said by the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now tonight, uh, if you would once again, please open your Bibles to where our brother was reading. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And I'll begin reading there in verse 24, and then I'll read down to verse 30. And then uh, and we'll skip a few verses to, to verse 36. But let's begin reading there in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them. And that he is referring to our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy had done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest 
I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them up in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Tonight, the Lord enabling, we're going to look at this parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, the author of this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and God. If you've never heard the name of God before, his name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Uh, just pause here in Matthew 13, and if you've not read this before, let me direct your attention to John's Gospel, the very first chapter. The beloved apostle, the beloved disciple, John, would have us to know that the eternal Son of God is the creator of everything our eyes behold in this world. He writes there in verse 3 of John chapter 1, and this is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, God's well-pleasing Son. All things were made by Him, the tree, the blue sky, the sun, the moon, the stars at night. You look at your grandmother, <laughs> you look at your grandfather, you look at your mom and dad, or when your mom and dad look at you, the one who made you, is his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, and without him was not anything made that was made. <laughs> That's pretty comprehensive. That sums up everything, does it not? Well, I want to remind us, myself and, and you who are listening to me, uh, the one who gave us this parable is our God. And he's the author of this parable, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at verse 1, of Matthew chapter 13, we discover that this parable was given on the very same day when the Lord Jesus left the meeting house where his mother and brethren were outside wanting to speak with him. And the same day he went out of that house and sat by the seaside. Then in verse 35, after he set forth these parables, Matthew records here, in verse 35, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Again, the author of this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew would have us to know how that this was a fulfillment of a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And this prophecy that the Christ would speak to us in parables is found in Psalm 78. You turn there with me. Psalm 
Psalm 78. In verse 2, we read there this prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So our Lord Jesus is speaking in parables, and Matthew tells us clearly how that this was a fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy concerning the promised Christ, concerning the, the Christ of God. Now, I would remind us again how that all of the scriptures speak of Christ. I want us to see that again. Uh, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, you see, if so, anybody ever asks you this question, this, this book here I'm holding in my hand, it's the Bible. And if anybody should ever ask you, well, what's, what's the one subject, the one theme of the whole Bible? The answer to that question is the Lord Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Now, how do I know that? Because <laughs> I have ears to hear him. You remember, um, the apostle John records that, that, that very solemn moment when he's before those Pharisees, the so-called doctors of the scriptures, the lawyers of the scriptures. They were supposed to be experts at God's word. And he told them plainly, he said, uh, you don't have God's word abiding in you. And neither have you seen God's shape nor, nor heard his voice. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures, the, the word of God. Now, at that time, it would have been from Genesis to Malachi. But in our time, it's Genesis to Revelation. The scriptures are they which testify of me. So if we ask that question, what is the Bible? What is the theme of the whole Bible? <laughs> we don't have to work very hard, do we? We hear the Lord's words, his own words. These are they which testify of me. And here in uh, Luke 24, it was uh, prophesied of him in the Psalms that he would open his mouth in parables and Again, I'm reminding not only myself, but you who are listening to me, that the whole subject of the scriptures is Christ. And we read in this account of Luke chapter 24 of these two disciples walking to Emmaus on the day of our Lord's resurrection. Notice what we read in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlong, furlongs. That's just a measurement of distance. Um, I, I haven't, uh, can't translate it in, that into our language, but it's like, you know, there's some distance they traveled. They were walking. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? They, they were sad. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known these things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, 
Remember, these two disciples are speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't know yet that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. His identity has not been revealed to them. And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto the Lord Jesus Christ, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a, might, a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Now, let me just pause here and tell you a little precious detail about God's well-pleasing son. First, something horrible about us. It says in Genesis chapter 6, and this is why our, we heard our brother pray that the Lord would have mercy on us evil sinners. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. See, we're sinners not because of what we do, because of what we are. We're, we're born into this world. We come out of our mother's womb. And our parents don't need to teach us lies. We're fallen. And, uh, I mean, you think about it, you know, um, mom and dad say to you, one cookie. <laughs> and we take the whole sleeve. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have a few memories of how much I love my dad's fig newtons. <laughs> and mom would said, one cookie. And, uh, I'd take a whole bunch more than that. But let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. From the time he was born, his whole life, to the time that he would accomplish the commandment the Father gave him, not one time did Mary have to spank him. Not one time did his father Joseph, his, his adoptive dad, Joseph, need to correct him. How come? You want to hear something wonderful about this man? <laughs> Look at John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 8. And this ain't me, this ain't you, this is God's well-pleasing Son. It says there in John chapter 8, verse 29, And he that sent me is with me, the Lord Jesus Christ declared. This is God's well-pleasing Son. He said, The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. <laughs> That's God's well-pleasing son. That's why the father said in a cloud, this is my son in whom I am well-pleased. Hear ye him. Now back to Luke where we're looking here. In Luke, the Lord Jesus Christ asked these men, and they did not know who he was at this point. He asked them what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. Now, he went about doing good to all the people all the time. Verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. That's just a big word for the the tomb. They were early at the tomb where they laid the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucified Christ. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. 
And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre. They went to the, to the tomb and found it ever so as the woman had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses, where's Moses begin? That's right, Genesis. And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How remarkable for those Pharisees to hear the God-man, a real life man, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone. And he's saying, the scriptures, the Bible, it's about me. And you won't come to me that you have, might have life. But his people, they come to him by his grace, by his quickening grace. He makes us willing in the day of his power. And we come to him and we believe him and we trust him. Just like a little child trusts his mom or dad. Remember, the Lord said, unless you be converted as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures of the Old Testament the things concerning himself. Have you ever wondered what it must have been like for those two disciples to go from one moment to thinking our Lord was a failure and then to hear from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ in the next moment <laughs> that he triumphed of how he spoiled principalities and powers and that he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the sacrifice of himself. No wonder when they realized who he was, they remarked, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And perhaps he began with the seed of the woman and reminded them that he was born of a virgin, the seed of a woman. Perhaps he spoke of the brazen serpent, of how that bronze serpent was lifted up before those Israelites who were bitten by those poisonous snakes, that they might be healed just by looking. That's right. They were bitten by poisonous snakes, and just by looking at the bronze serpent, they were healed. What a wonderful picture of faith. Just look and live. Just look to God's Son and live. And that's the very picture that our Lord, Lord used, did he not? Remember, now this is in John's Gospel, chapter 3. John chapter 3, when our Lord was speaking to Nicodemus, he said to him in John chapter 3, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And no doubt the Lord spoke to them also about the Passover lamb, the scapegoat. What a beautiful picture that is. Behold the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that took our sins to himself and put them away. Indeed, he removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. You know, um, perhaps you've heard of the name uh, Charles Spurgeon, a very well-known preacher from the 19th century uh, from England. You know, and they, they describe him as the prince of preachers. And if Charles Spurgeon is in the presence of our Lord even now, I know he would agree with me that only the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of that title. <laughs> That's right. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of preachers. And oh, what must it have been like to hear the Lord Jesus Christ himself go through the scriptures and preach the gospel of God concerning himself? 
Perhaps when he came to the Psalms, he reminded them that the psalmist cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And how those were the very words that he cried from the cross. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And remember, he cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You get a little glimpse of the answer in Psalm 22. It later on says, because thou art holy. And in Psalm 69, verse 20, turn there with me, Psalm 69, verse 20, it's, it says there, speaking about the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 20, and remember, this is the greater David speaking. It says there in verse 20, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. And as the Lord gave his life a ransom for his people, he was completely deserted, was he not? The Lord Jesus Christ looked for comforters, but he found none, for he was forsaken. His disciples left him, everyone left him, and then the Father turned his back. And then Psalm 69, verse 21, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Perhaps those disciples on the road to Emmaus saw those very events and of how they lifted up that pole to the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ and gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. We read in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah there in the, 30, the 53rd chapter, it says there in verse 5, how that he was wounded for our transgressions. You know, transgression is, you know, the law says thou shalt not. He was wounded for our transgressions of God's holy law. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our so-called righteousnesses that are nothing more than filthy rags in the Father's sight. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What a precious verse we have in the New Testament. Colossians 2, verse 10, it says of you, believer, ye are complete in him, lack nothing. Full and complete pardon of all your sins and a, and a righteous, a perfect righteousness wrought out by the Son of God, made yours and the covenant of grace. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Why didn't he open his mouth? Because, beloved, the Father made his sinless Son to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God and God, righteousness of God in Him. And He's brought as the lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So He opened not His mouth. Now, as I stated previously, the author of the parable that we're looking at tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that all of Scripture gives testimony to. You see, it all speaks and gives testimony to Christ. And later, in the 24th chapter of Luke, 
he meets with his disciples and shows them how that in the prophets, in the Psalms, and in the law, they all spoke of him, the very author of this parable. And you'll see that in John's Gospel. You see that in the book of Acts. You'll see that everywhere, how they were all waiting for the Christ to come. Beloved, beloved of God, the author of this parable is he of whom all the scriptures give testimony, the Lord of glory. Remember, he said, the scriptures are they which testify of me. Now, though there was a multitude that heard this parable, only the disciples heard the explanation of it. And yes, there was a great multitude that heard our Lord's parable, but only his disciples heard the explanation of that parable. And we see this in verse 34, Matthew 13, verse 34. All these things spake the Lord Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And notice verse 35. Then Jesus, rather verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away, the multitude heard the parable, but the Lord dismissed them. He sent them away and went and returned into the house. We saw him in residing in, in chapter 12. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And just as before, the hearers of the parable of the sower was the multitude, but those who heard the explanation of that parable was a limited number of people. And we see the same thing is true with respect to this parable of the tares and the wheat. And so after the Lord left the boat, after he had left the boat from which he had been speaking to the multitudes, he enters into the house and his disciples come unto him and they ask him to explain to them the parable of the tares and the wheat. So we see the author of this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see how that the multitudes heard this parable. But notice, only his disciples heard him explain the meaning of the parable. Now, I want us to identify the persons and the terms which are used in this parable of the tares and the wheat. And the first term is that we find here is the kingdom of heaven. Notice how the parable begins in verse 24 says here, another parable put the Lord Jesus Christ forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened. It's like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now, the kingdom of heaven is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven in this word of God, according to the same parable as is given in Luke's gospel. Now, when we think of the gospel as the mysteries of the kingdom of God, remember that Paul writes in 1 Timothy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And that's the fundamental truth concerning the gospel. Who Jesus Christ is, he is the Lord. Lord, thou art the Son of God, the Christ of God. And this is a mystery of the kingdom. God was manifest in the flesh. See, not everybody can say with our brother Thomas when they're 
looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. Um, So many people who are religious don't know this. God's not revealed it to them. Uh, In Matthew, or rather in Isaiah, and uh, we'll look at this. We'll never stop looking at this, that's for sure. (laughs) But if you look in Isaiah chapter 9, I I still remember uh, being uh, downtown Toronto in Massey Hall, listening to that orchestra sing these very words, and I didn't know the first thing about it. They were singing Handel's Messiah, and Handel put music to these words. But I know this, the Lord will bless his word to the hearts of his people. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born. And that's speaking about the baby that was prepared in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And unto us a son is given. As the eternal son of God, he cannot be born, he must be given. He's the God-man. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's a sovereign, the sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords. Nothing happens in this world without his sovereign decree. And his name shall be called Wonderful, (laughs) Counselor, the Mighty God. Hold up, preacher. I thought you were talking about a child. I thought you were talking about a son. I am. And this son, this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince peace. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Remember Philip? Philip said to him, show us the Father and and we'll be satisfied. (laughs) And he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so this is a mystery of the kingdom. God was manifest in the flesh. Now in this parable here, the kingdom of heaven speaks to a dispensation. The very gospel dispensation which you and I are living in right now. Remember, the Lord has been building his church for the last 2,000 years. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ that brought an end to the old dispensation. I mean, we have two parts to our Bible, do we not? We have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. And the word testament means covenant. Well, we have an old covenant, an old dispensation, when the gospel was administered under those Old Testament types and pictures of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that there's an end to that dispensation. He writes, once in the end of the world, once in the end of the Old Testament dispensation, indeed once in the end of the Old Testament age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what are we talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God? Well, we're talking about the gospel dispensation age of the church. Because as Romans chapter 10, verse 4 tells us, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Before Christ appeared, before Christ was set before the people of God in in pictures and types in the Old Testament, in ceremonies. But now, beloved, he has come in, in this gospel dispensation The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our great king is made manifest. And Paul remarks, this is is what Paul says about the prophecy of Isaiah. Paul writes, Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. 
And so that's the first thing. The term, the kingdom of heaven, speaks of the gospel dispensation in which you and I now live, where Christ is king. And remember, he's God's king. And he said, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And when Christ saves a person, he becomes the king of our life. And he sets up his throne in our heart. And remember, he's a mediator. And we receive him as the one mediator between God and man, as our prophet, as our priest, and yes, as our mighty conquering king. You see, beloved, he's our advocate. I love that portion in John's epistle. In his first epistle, John chapter, first John chapter two, if memory serves, he writes to God's people, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, indeed, uh, beloved, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, the second thing I would have you to see in this parable in Matthew chapter 13 is the man that sowed good seed in his field. Verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, this gospel dispensation, is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Who is the man who sowed good seed in his field? Well, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And he tells us that in his explanation. Notice verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, the Lord uses workmen. There's no doubt about that. That is, he uses men to preach the gospel. But ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that sows the good seed. Every time the gospel is preached, he's sowing the good seed. And yes, the Lord uses men to preach the gospel. Yet, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For beloved, we are laborers together with God and ye are God's husbandry. So the man that sowed the good seed in his field is the son of man. And notice it says it's his field. Now let's look at the third thing we see here. The field in which the Lord Jesus sowed good seed is the world. He tells us that in verse 38. The field is the world. The Son of Man sowed good seed in his field, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Now this world is his, is it not? The whole world is in his hand, and it's his by creation, for without him was not anything made that was made. And so since he created this world, know this, it's his world. And he makes the sun to shine, or rather to rise on the evil and on the, on, and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust, un, unjust. He maketh the sun to shine. He maketh the rain to pour upon his field. And my friend, he owns it lock, stock, and barrel. He's the owner of everything you see. Now notice the fourth thing here. The good seed, the wheat, what, or rather, who are they? Well, our Lord gives us the answer in verse 38. 
The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. And they're also called the wheat in verse 25. Notice it says there, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And they're not only called the wheat, but the righteous. Notice verse 43. It says there, Then shall the righteous, the wheat, the good seed, the children of the kingdom, then shall they shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. One old writer observes seven ways that God's children may be compared to wheat. And that's what we're called in this parable. The good seed, the children of the kingdom, are compared to wheat. First of all, because of the choiceness of it, that being the choicest grain, so they are the chosen of God and precious and the excellent in the earth. Another way that God's children may be compared to wheat is because wheat dies before it rises and springs up. And so the saints do and will do, both in a spiritual and bodily sense. And third, because of the purity and whiteness of it, so too God's children are pure and white, being sanctified by the Spirit, washed in the blood of Christ, and justified by His righteousness. Fourthly, because of its substance, fullness, weight, and permanence, so too God's children are filled from Christ's fullness. And with the fullness of God and fruits of righteousness, they remain and cannot be driven as the chaff is, but continue to live because Christ their head lives. Fifthly, because of the gradual increase of wheat, so too God's children increase in spiritual light, grace, and experience. And sixthly, because of the chaff that adheres to it, so sin and corruption cleave to the saints in this life. And lastly, because it needs both the threshing rod and the fan, so believers need chastisements, afflictions, and corrections. Now, none of us like afflictions. None of us like chastisements. And yet, if we be without them, the apostle says we're illegitimate because God chastens every son that he receives. Just like a father who loves his children, so too he will correct his children. So God loves his children, and yes, he corrects us, and it's necessary, just like that wheat needs the threshing rod to beat it. And what purpose does that serve? Well, it's separating the chaff, and then when it's pitched up into the air, that that chaff is blown away. And notice another term in this parable. Now, thus far... We've looked at the kingdom of heaven, this gospel dispensation, the time we, we now live in, these latter days. And the man that sowed good seed in his field is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sowed good seed. And the good seed, that speaks of the children of the kingdom of God. And then lastly, in the last part of verse 39, it says there, but the tares, and now who are the tares? Our Lord tells us they are the children of the wicked one. Who is the wicked one? Well, that's the devil, the serpent of old. It is he who plants them. He's the one who plants the tares. Remember, our Lord told some men, and this is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 8. Turn there with me. John's Gospel, chapter 8. He 
He says there in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye yet not understand my speech? Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Remember that the tares, their father is the devil. He's the evil one who planted them. And I thought of, about the fact that when people think about the devil planting the tares, remember, he is the one who came in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and first deceived Eve and then tempted Adam to disobey God and bring sin into God's creation. And then there's one other term here we see in this parable, the harvest. Now, what does the harvest represent? Well, the harvest represents the end of the world. My friend, there's going to be a harvest. You see, this world is not going to continue forever as it is now. Rather, it's going to come to an end as we know it. Now, here's the last thing I, I want to mention. Beloved, there are three lessons for us to take from this parable. Number one, we will not find a perfect church in this world. Now, of course, our Lord is not teaching us here that there's never been a time when, where we might find it necessary to remove a member of a local church, either because of his doctrine or his practice. But what we do see here is if we make an attempt to do that, fallible as we are to judge and decide who is the wheat and who are the tares, and then, and then if we try to pull out the tares, well, if we do that, we'd be going against what our Lord said. Because he said, let the tares and the wheat grow together. And so you see, in every local church, certain it is, there are some who are wheat and there are some who are tares. And so you'll never find a church with just wheat and no chaff. I mean, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find it in this world. Be sure of that. No wonder we have so, so many denominations. Fearful thing, is it not? To have so many denominations. We read in 1 Corinthians, turn there with me. Now, this is speaking about a, a visible local church, but I think it speaks also to the, the, the visible church as a whole. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it is a, a solemn, fearful thing to read here. It says there in verse 19, there must be also heresies among you, divisions, sects, denominations. There must be also heresies among you. How come? That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Allow me to read you this portion from Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn there with me if you like. I'll be reading beginning there in verse 24, Ephesians chapter 4. It 
And this is speaking to God's elect, God's people, believers. Believer, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. <laughs> not, not pretended holiness. This is speaking about the holiness of Christ. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, beloved, you and I need forgiveness. Because all of us, every single one of us, as James writes, in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. But who is that man really? Who is that man that never says something to offend someone? Another lesson, keeping with the symbol of the wheat mentioned in the parable. Beloved, there's going to be a harvest. And the Lord Jesus speaks of the harvest in this parable as the end of the world. Remember, the Lord Jesus spoke of this last day. You see, just as there was a first day in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, so too, know this, there will be a last day. My friend, a time is coming when time shall be no more. When our friends and loved ones who know Christ, when they leave this world, there'll be an eternity. And it's, it's hard to imagine, is it not? how that they now, right now, are in a place where there's no end to time. And they're with the Lord, and it's always now, right now. And beloved, there's going to be a last day. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a time when time shall come to an end, and the Lord will send his reaper angels. And that brings us to the third lesson. The wheat and the tares shall be gathered. All the wheat will be gathered and the tares will be gathered, but to different places. The tares shall be cast into what our Lord calls a furnace of fire, where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of suffering, a place of punishment, a place where God is going to put rebels, those who do not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he's going to put them in this place of punishment to be forever separated from God. But the wheat, the scriptures say, will be gathered into his barn. And we know the definition of that, that term, do we not? Beloved, his barn is speaking of heaven. And in that place, he says, they shall shine forth as the sun. And beloved, when we've been there, 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begot. I pray the Lord would open our understanding as the beloved disciple writes, that God would give us an understanding that we may know him that is true because we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God 
and eternal life. Amen.